music, music, music. Hello, everyone. This is Heath with the Music Technology Teacher Network, www.mutechteachernet.com. Welcome to my podcast, Mutech Teacher Talk. I'm very excited to be speaking with an all-star, rock star, you name it, superlative educator from Fayetteville, Georgia, who is doing amazing things with her students. Christy Todd is passionate about building opportunities for all students to create, so much so that she founded the Fayette County Public Schools Community for Creativity Initiative. She currently facilitates the program at Rising Star Middle School in Fayetteville, Georgia where she supports student creation of songs, podcasts, videos, games, audiobooks, and more, which are then released through the school's entertainment label, hallpassentertainment.org. She is a founding member of the Story Arts Collective, a partnership between education stakeholders, Trillith Studios, and other industry partners whose goal is to build the next generation of Georgia's creative workforce. She also currently serves as Fayette County Public Schools Teacher of the Year and was recently named a top 10 finalist for the Georgia Department of Education's 2024 Teacher of the Year. She's authored research articles for publications including the National Association for Middle Level Education, the Music Educators Journal, and the International Society of Music Education. She is a frequent guest presenter at state and national conference on a wide range of topics. In 2016, she was named the Georgia Middle School Association's Teacher of the Year and was also selected as a national quarterfinalist for the 2013 Grammy Music Teacher of the Year Award. She received degrees in music education and choral conducting from Shorter College and Florida State University. I know you're going to enjoy the conversation and learn a lot from today's guest, Christy Todd. Christy, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Heath. I'm, I'm so excited to talk all things music technology and the amazing opportunities our students have here in Georgia. Yeah, I know we have been trying for months, literally, to find some time to get together and share and talk about what we're doing in our classrooms. So I don't know if it's kind of weird that we're finally doing this on a podcast or not, but in any case, I'm really glad that we finally are getting the chance to talk. Yeah, me too, me too. So I'm going to go off the script just a little bit from what we normally do, because you're now at Rising Star Middle School in Fayette County, which is south, southwest of Atlanta. And how many years have you been at Rising Star? So I have been at Rising Star for 12 years now, and we're actually attached to Stars Mill High School. We're in the same building separated by the auditorium. So I started my teaching career at Stars Mill High School as an assistant chorus director. And then two years into that, sort of put all of my stuff on a on a flatbed and moved down the hallway to the middle school and became the director of the choral program there uh, before I started the job I'm in now. So the, the question I have, as I was reading through your bio before we talked, you didn't start off as a music teacher. You were in the consulting and business development world with some nonprofits. So my, my question is, how did how did that leap happen from business consultant to music teacher? Yeah, absolutely. So my undergraduate degree is in music education. So I went to school to be a music teacher. And while I was in college, I had an amazing opportunity to be a member of a national sorority. And I was a founding member of a chapter on my campus. And it was an amazing experience. And from that, the national sorority called me up and they said, hey, do you want a job as a consultant right after school? And so I took the, the gig and it was the coolest job because as a like 21 year old, 
I was paid to travel the country and I worked on college campuses um, everywhere from UNC Chapel Hill to Tulane to California to up in Michigan. So I got to see the country as a 21 year old um, upgraded all the time because of my frequent flyer miles. Like I don't have that anymore, but it was a, it was an awesome opportunity. And so I basically went in and sort of audited college uh, campuses, the chapter of the national sorority. After I did that one year, they asked me to take over the, their business development arm. So I opened their new chapters. I did all their marketing and communications um, for opening new chapters, their recruitment, their sales, interactions with alumni, local community. But as much as I love that three years into that, I just knew I was like, I have to, I like, I'm supposed to be a teacher. Like I'm, I'm supposed to be a music teacher. And so at the end of three years, um, and I had had so much fun traveling, I was so grateful for that opportunity. It's like, okay, it's time to go into the classroom. And I just looked, I was so lucky. There was an assistant chorus director job posted in the county where I had, I grew up going to school in Fayette County Schools. So there was an assistant chorus director job open at Stars Mill High School in July, which you, you and I both know that that's not when schools post jobs. Um, so I locked up and they hired me, even though it had been several years, I'd been, you know, had never been in the classroom. It had been several years since college and they took a, they took a risk on me and I was so grateful for that opportunity. That's really interesting. So, but music was the original plan. You just sort of had this three year excursion to travel the country. That's pretty interesting. So, so when did you, as a kid growing up, when did you realize that music was something that really interested you? So I, I grew up, what I'd like to tell everyone is I grew up on a farm in Sonoy before there were zombies. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Walking dead fans. My, my, my hometown didn't have a red light and now it is a major tourist destination. And so growing up in the country, my, my elementary school did not have a music class until I was in fifth grade. And that really was life changing for me because even before that, I knew I loved to teach. Like I remember my, my, the farm next door, my best friend, Betsy, we took her chicken coop and we turned it into a schoolhouse and we would like teach our brothers everything we thought they should know. So I knew I loved to teach, but when I had music in fifth grade, I was like, wow, I really like this. This is cool. It's sort of like math. It's like a code I have to figure out, but it probably wasn't until I was in high school that I decided I wanted to be a course director and that was because of my high school course director Janice Folsom uh, she was amazing and you know most kids are taking notes on what they're learning in class and I was just taking notes on what she was doing and I'd go home and, and practice conducting and that's what I just found I loved in in high school that's really interesting to hear you say that because my daughter, who's now a junior uh, music ed major at the University of Georgia, she wants to be a middle school band director. And I have a son who is about to enter high school, but I can remember when they were younger, my daughter used to sit my son on the edge of the bed and she would pretend like she was a teacher. And, it, you know, he's done pretty well in school so far. So I, I give her the credit for uh for first sparking her teaching uh, credentials. But, you know, when he was in preschool, she was teaching him what 
they were learning in like second and third grade already. So oh, just, a, cool. just a little shout out to Abby. She, <laughs> she started her teaching career, you know, really, really early. So that's really interesting. So you go in and you get to Rising Star and you're, you're doing choir and you're loving it. And but somewhere there had to begin some transition from what we would consider probably a traditional music program or choir program transitioning into this music technology and and as in the conversation we'll find out it is so much more even than just that but how did that transition or transformation begin to happen absolutely i think there were two things that happened for me um one side had to do with my a sort of shift in my teaching philosophy and another side happened with the, the boom in the creative industries that I've hinted at that was happening here in the Fayette County area. So in my first year teaching as an assistant course director at Stars Mill High School, I had a student in, in choir and we were going for our large group performance evaluation. We were standing on stage and singing for a panel of judges. And um, I had a student mainstreamed into my chorus program who was in a self-contained class uh, education classroom and she was a wonderful member of our chorus participated and when we got on stage she found her voice loudly and off key for the first time uh, and i you know when you're standing up there conducting you just keep going like we're in the moment and when i got the the scores back from the judges and i still have the score sheet Keith, to this day, one of the judges wrote, did you hear the voice off key? Is this the right place for her? Question mark. And it really, really made me angry. And it took me a couple of days to realize I didn't need to be angry at the judges. I needed to be angry at myself because I didn't really know that that student or her strengths or her capabilities. All I knew is music was a social outlet for her. And so that really sort of set me on the path to figure out how we can provide well-rounded music education opportunities for, for all students. And I went later and got my master's at Florida State University and, and focused that research on inclusive performance ensembles. Because of that, you know, some students physically cannot match pitch or physically could not move to a steady beat. And what we did was we started a special music collaboration that has now been going on. It's been in existence for 14 years now, Heath, and it has impacted over 10,000 students. Wow. So it is a partnership between the special education department at the middle school and the high school and also our fine arts programs. And so we have a collaborate. We have two annual performances where it's students from across the school making music together in a wide variety of ways. And because of that, I began embracing technology. Um, got a grant for iPads, brought them in, uh, was using them. We partnered with a local recording studio on Fridays and launched a Rock Friday program. Uh, so we had kids playing adapted guitars. We had them playing sort of piano parts on the iPad. And in, I think it was 2017 or 2018, 2018, and my men's chorus, I had a really large men's chorus of about 80 guys at the middle school, was selected to perform at GMEA. And because we believe in inclusive ensembles, it was unauditioned. And we had about 30% of that choir either had an IEP or a 504 plan or ESOL services. 
And so our concert at GMEA, like we brought in speakers, we ran cabling. I'm like, I'm about to get kicked out. Like this is not normally done. We had an iPad band um, and many of the students in that band uh, were students in our special education program. And that's how they performed. That's how they showed what they knew about music. And it really changed, I think, a lot of minds that day, including my school superintendents who was in the audience. So when he saw that the next the next week, I got a phone call or it was actually the front office buzzed and said, Miss Todd, the superintendent's here to see you, which is not normally a good thing. <laughs> so I like ran up and he said that that really made him think a lot about how he saw kids being able to create in different ways. And he asked if I felt like I could do that, not only in music, but through other mediums as well. And if I could help build a school-wide infrastructure for that and connect with our local creative industry sector. So I said, yes. And we launched the Community for Creativity Initiative uh, five years ago at my school. So I help students create a variety of products uh, through different mediums. So it's really based on um, research strategies of universal design for learning where kids are showing what they know through different products. And it may be podcasts, like what we're doing today. It may be film, it may be music uh, creation. And so we teach a wide variety of classes and some classrooms I go in and, and support kids in content and product creation. But we also saw that, hey, we had a gap in our fine arts department. It was all performance and we needed some creation-based classes. And so that's when I began teaching music technology about five years ago. So that's one piece of the job that I currently do. So yeah, it was, it was really a mix between just my philosophy as a teacher changing and, and how I wanted to teach my students. But then at the same time, our local creative industry sector um, is booming. We have one of the world's largest film studios, like five miles from my school. And all of those jobs that go in to support that, our school system is trying to build pathways for that. that it's such a great story to hear how that happened. And it's interesting, I think, how there are certain performances or certain events that really, and even sometimes you may not know at the time, but you look back and realize that that was a real catalyst or turning point. But I have two. The first thing that happened, This I think this was first or second year I was doing it. I was just teaching one class uh, some per semester, but we were working in Soundtrap, which is, you know, an online DAW. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's cool about Soundtrap is you can get an app on your smartphone. And I was teaching this class and we had been working on a project where they were creating, you know, melodies or, or something. And the bell rang at the end of class and, you know, everyone, you know, shutting their computers down. And typically, you know, students are discouraged from having their cell phones out or whatever during school. But I was standing there at the door in the hallway as they were leaving. And one of the students that was in my class came out holding their cell phone up and they caught their buddy coming out of another class across the hall. And they go, dude, check out what I just made. And they started playing their music like they had been yeah. in the lab on the computer. They shut the computer down, pulled the app up on their phone. And because it's web based, it was right there. And you know, he went out of his way to you catch his friend to go check this out. And I was, and I thought, how many classes do students right. have where they come out of it and they want to show their friends what they're doing? So that was really impactful for me. And the other thing is I had a student, it was about maybe a year after that experience, but she was in my class, but she couldn't physically manipulate 
a mouse or a keyboard. So she had a person with her, you know, throughout the day that would help her do those things. And so they asked ahead of time, they said, do you think that she would be able to do this? And I went, absolutely. As long as she has someone there that can help. So what I can remember is during class, I would hear her voice suddenly go, I like it. I like it. Because what would happen is, you know, the person was there was helping, they would go through and, you know, whether they were working with loops or they were working with, you know, you know, choosing different timbres or different instruments. As she was listening, she would go, mm-mm, 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 and real softly. But then when there was something that she wanted to use, she would go, I like it. So even to this day, when things happen in my classroom that sort of like that, I still hear that student's voice mm-hmm. in my head. And that was a big motivator, just like, you know, your experience to understand that, wow, through this program, there's is is creating opportunities for more yeah. students to experience and create music which i mean that's that's what it's all about so you mentioned the community for creativity there in your school and you teach some classes directly but it sounds like you also facilitate maybe with other teachers like what other teachers are involved with this program i mean yeah, as far absolutely. as like subject content areas yeah, this is a, a really sort of a school-wide initiative. So th- we have different, like on our learning management system, we use Schoology. I don't know what, what you guys use, but we post uh, gigs and opportunities to, for kids to create content for specific needs, and the whole school can participate. So it might be something like uh, Fayette Senior Services reaches out and says, hey, we need a new logo for our whatever program we have. And so we put that gig out to the school and the kids create that content. And so that's available to to anybody. Um, Sometimes like for Veterans Day, if we need a specific video with a specific message, we'll put that gig out and kids across the school can create. And we have, I'd, I'd say like audio and and media video maker spaces in the school where kids can sort of use those spaces to help. And so we have elements like that for sixth and seventh grade. But when we get to eighth grade, kids can focus in on a capstone project. So this is something that they want to make or produce that's going to serve a need in our school or in our larger community. And we they pitch their idea. So show us a prototype, sort of like a shark tank. It's very official. You know, we have a panel and they have to walk in and So they pitch their idea and they ask for funding. So part of my job is to provide funding, create industry mentors, faculty advisors. So that may involve anybody in the entire school, honestly, based on what the kid is interested in doing. So I teach uh, several sections. You know, it depends sometimes two, sometimes four sections of music technology. And then when it's time for capstone projects with eighth grade, I go into other classrooms and help students with their capstone projects. So this year we just had our big showcase and we had a group of students who designed a video game using Unreal Engine and it was called Earth's Collapse and they used uh, key landmarks in Georgia to build the buildings and it's sort of like what would happen with global warming. So that was a, a really interesting project. We had a student, um, her name's Valeria, she's from Peru, and her family, her grandmother, who is still in Peru, uh, is knits and makes these amazing things that are crocheted, handmade. And so Valeria wanted to learn her family's heritage of knitting, and so she has been FaceTiming all year with her grandmother and made an entire line of fashion clothes 
and I helped her do a runway show that the whole school and people in the community came. She actually made the shirt. And I think we're going to talk about this later, um, how I'm a finalist for Georgia Teacher of the Year. I wore a shirt to my interview that Valeria had made. And so it was really cool. Uh, we also release uh, albums of music. And sometimes that's not just our eighth graders. That's school-wide. We do at least two albums a year. Uh, we had students who made short films, stop animations. We had a faculty room redesigned this year. So that was cool. We had students who want to be interior designers. So they use CAD software, design the space, came to us for funding. The PTO funded it. And now we have a, a, a really HGTV looking faculty room, thanks to these students who took that on as a project. Uh, so every year it, it varies, it differs. We've had students make commercials for Relay for Life, um, do murals at Panasonic Automotive's corporate headquarters. So it really just varies from year to year what the kids' interests are. And then I work with classroom teachers that maybe they need more skills in a certain area. So I might go into our engineering class or our art classroom or work with a Georgia history teacher. Uh, we just had a group that did a whole radio show uh, based on eighth grade Georgia history standards. So I, I would say it's, I don't know that arts integration is, is the right word, but I do go into other classrooms and help support with product creation, content creation that kids are making. The other piece of my job along those lines is, the, and this really started about four years ago, we had all these kids making amazing products and content, and it was just dying in a Google Drive or in a learning management system. And I'll never forget Tiffany Jones. I don't know if you know Tiffany. She used to be in the education department at the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, and she's also an audio engineer. She's the owner of Ken Factory Entertainment. Uh, and she's in a producer now in Atlanta. So at the time she was still on staff with the ASO and she had come down and she was looking at some of the songs that the kids made. And I remember right where we were standing in the school and she looked at me and she said, Christy, y'all need an entertainment label. And I was like, ding, ding, ding. And so we built one and the kids named it and we created the logo and the mission statement and every piece of it. It's called Hall Pass Entertainment. And so we do more than distribute just music, even though I'm very passionate about the music part, obviously, because of my background. But we have a YouTube channel. We do short films. We have a podcast show. We release several music albums annually. We have a whole graphic design arm. And so it is a full functioning, like creative agency, right, where we're making content and sharing it with our school audience. And I think the thing that's been very powerful about that, Heath, is you know, traditionally in a school setting, you're going to have certain teachers and students that get seen. And it's those teachers and students that are on a stage, whether it's a performance stage or they're winning the academic bowl or they're, you know, on the basketball court, you know, shooting the layup. And it, and those things are amazing. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But there's there's a whole group of students and teachers that, that don't have a stage to share what they're doing. And Hall Pass Entertainment is building that opportunity to share what our students and teachers are doing across the building. Yeah, that's amazing. And the thing about it is, when you talk about stages, they're on the largest stage in the world now. In the world. Literally, uh, yeah. it's, it's global. Yeah. So our students are on these, you know, they're on YouTube, they're on TikTok, they're taking in a lot of content. I think it's so amazing that you have them 
creating this really quality, really good content that is not, that's very positive, I guess, for the world, I would say. Yeah. I think that that's, that's the really exciting thing, right? Is it's kids making contents for kids. And we are now teaching Heath the Ryan's world generation. These kids grew up watching toy unboxing videos on YouTube made by kids their age. (laughs) And I feel like that's one of the most powerful things that that's schools can do to harness learning is to allow kids to make and distribute content as part of the learning process. And another piece of that is, so I work with middle school, but now since I've been doing this for five years, a lot of these kids are, you know, now in high school or about to graduate. So through our career and technical education work-based learning initiative, we now hire those students uh, who are junior seniors who've gone through the program and they're coming they're coming back and there are producers. So I have a podcast producer, a social media director, a music producer, which gives me more hands. <laughs> and so they work directly with our middle school kids to refine and edit their content. And I just sort of look over everything and make sure it meets the quality standards that we need it to as a school and then help them distribute. And one of my music producer who mix and sometimes we hire out uh, audio engineers to help us get our albums ready for distribution, the mixing and mastering part. Well, one of our seniors stepped in that role and halfway through the year, he had to quit working for me because he did such a good job. He got hired away by a professional studio. And I'm like, yes, that's what I want to have happen. That's amazing. So that's, it's, it's really a full circle thing now where it's students creating content for students and being supported by students. So it's, it's really a fun process to watch. It makes me so excited just to hear you describe about what's happening there. One of the things, you know, here in Gwinnett County, where I teach historically, I mean, going back 20 years, we had a couple of schools and we have Gwinnett County is one of the largest school systems in the country. It's the largest in Georgia. We have last count. I think we have 24 high schools, um, 180,000 plus students in the system. So, but going back, you know, 20 years, there were a couple of schools in Gwinnett County that had music technology programs. Um, uh, Brookwood High School, Ken Simpson started that years ago. That was phenomenal. We had Tim Johnson at Grayson, who started a music technology program there, uh, and then Marion English later at North Gwinnett. So, we had some high school programs. But, you know, only at a few schools. And then about, well, I guess it was seven years ago when we first got a music technology lab here at McConnell Middle School, Mm -hmm. we were one of five middle schools that were able to get these music technology labs. And today, I think maybe there's 11 or 12 middle schools that have that. But in that time, and even with the cluster that I'm in and the way our schools are set up, is all the middle schools and elementary schools are set up around a high school that they call Mm -hmm. clusters. So I know in some places I've been, you know, a middle school may feed two different high schools, but here they try to, from K through 12, they try to keep them all heading to the same place, which Mm -hmm. is great in a lot of ways. But my point being, we started the music technology program here at McConnell Middle School before they had one at Archer High School, where I, where I feed into. And what's happened, not just in this cluster, but in the other clusters that have middle school music tech programs, it's created demand at the high right. school. Right. So when, and so when students 
are going to the high school, they're if they don't already have a music technology program, they're asking for one. Yeah. And Gwinnett County is fantastic in supporting the these programs for us because if they don't already have one in place, uh, there's certainly resources to do that. So, but my question being, you know, there at you know Rising Star, having those high school students come back is fantastic. Has it led to any new programs at the high school? So we're definitely having some discussions about where those students are going because there is a demand, exactly what you're you're discussing. And so we're internally, we're talking about what are those opportunities to build that workforce out and what could that look like um, through collaboration with various partners. But until we're, you know, able to, to make that happen, we're not quite as big as Gwinnett Heath. You know, we can't we can't snap our fingers and make it happen overnight. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but I have so much uh, respect for for Gwinnett. I you may not remember this, but when we launched this program, I came up and toured. I toured your classroom uh, five years ago when we launched this, and I toured a lot of the the different music tech programs um, because we were trying to figure out like, hey, what are we doing? What equipment do we need? And and for us, we needed the space to serve more than just music technology because we're looking at, at many different sides, visual sides to the creative industries. But it was so helpful um, to, to go tour everything that's happening there. But we do have um, one of our, our band teacher at the high school that we feed into next year is, is running a, sort of an alternate music course with songwriting. We do a lot of songwriting. And so we're, we're seeing that expansion begin to happen and broaden in different ways. And so I'm excited to see where the, the future leads us. Yeah, I know in education circles, we, you know, we're, we're on a cycle of ever-changing jargon and lingo that we go through from differentiation to project-based learning to these kind of things. But one, one of the things that I've really been interested in looking into recently is what's described as interdisciplinary learning, which sounds a lot like what you're doing there. Yeah. Was there a particular model or philosophy that that was built on, or was it something that, that was kind of more organically created by what you're doing? So uh, the fundamentals of everything that we have been doing through our Community for Creativity initiative was really built on the concept of creative literacy. And that's something we sort of coined here, that it's kids reading, writing, reflecting through multiple mediums. And we talked earlier about my drive for that, of, of working with students with varying abilities and wanting to make sure that they were able to share their knowledge in a medium that worked for them. And I think that that's so important, especially when we're looking at the new literacy standards that are being released for and, and English standards that are being released for our state. And I was so happy to see in those standards coming out, talking about the different ways that students can communicate their ideas. Because as you and I both know, the world that we live in right now, what kids are consuming, they're consuming a wide variety of content. And they need to be able to express themselves in many different ways. So that is at the core of what we do. The work that we do is aligned to literacy standards and, and whatever kids are doing. So like our students who, who did the video game, right, that they use Unreal Engine and designed a video game. Well, they're documenting their process. They're making like dev vlogs, like development, you know, video blogs basically about their process that we then release on YouTube. So the amount of reading, writing, reflecting, editing, communicating, public speaking that these kids have to do, it it sort of takes 
basic literacy skills to the next level. And that's at the, at the core of what we're doing here is helping kids communicate their ideas uh, through many different mediums. And you've touched on a couple of things, the Hall Pass Entertainment and the Collective for Creativity. Tell me about the Story Arts Collective and the work you've done with Trillif Studios. Absolutely. So when we started this five years ago, as I mentioned, our superintendent had a vision to connect with our local booming creative industry sector. So right away, we knew that we needed to find an opportunity to build meaningful partnerships. And I'm not talking about asking someone to write a check for t-shirts, Heath. That's, that's not a partnership, okay? I'm talking about ways that it can be mutually beneficial for our industry partner and for our school and really getting to know each other and the, the varying needs. So in January 2020, and we had had a relationship with Trellith prior to this, they had hosted some of our, our students on field trips, mentored some of our capstone projects. But in January 2020, I'll never forget our superintendent um, was in the school and he's like, hey, Christy, I got a meeting I want you to come with me to. And so we go over to Trellis Studios and I walk in the room and there's like a dozen people and one of them is Frank Patterson, the CEO of Trilla Studios, and then Dan Cathy, um, who's a, a major shareholder in the studios, uh, former CEO of Chick-fil-A. And I'm like looking around the room and I'm like, I am a teacher. Like, what am I doing in this room? Um, but they shared their vision to build the the K to MFA pipeline, and not everything ends with an, an MFA, a Master of Fine Arts, but to build out that workforce pipeline for for students, and and asked like, you know, what did schools need, and and how can we work together? And it it was an amazing conversation. It really was, and it was a conversation that took place with public, private, and charter school partners on how we could all work together to help our students sort of reach their dreams and also partner with our local workforce. So out of that meeting, we formed the Story Arts Collective. So I'm a founding member of that group. And our job is to sort of help equip uh, students across Georgia and even beyond Georgia with the knowledge, skills, and craft of story in whatever medium they choose. So whether that is in songwriting or whether that's in creating a logo or a short film. Uh, so we have had, and these lessons, they're, they're open. So you can see the website at storyarts.co. Again, that's storyarts.co. Uh, these lessons are free right now for, for all of Georgia. And so we interview uh, an industry professional and get them on, on video talking about what they do and their job. And then there's a series of, of small challenges that classrooms can do to help kids make products. And then at the end of the challenge, they can actually Zoom with that industry professional and get feedback on their work. These lessons are beginning to be poured into Georgia Connects, which is the, the new site that the Georgia Department of Education is using to sort of share curricular resources. So not only can you access it on storyarts.co, you can access it on the Department of Education's Georgia Connects site. And right now, kids can write song lyrics with a member of the Zach Brown Band. They can create a short film with the CEO of Trilla Studios. And they can write a weather report with a network meteorologist. So it is, it's just 
it's an amazing opportunity to learn about jobs in Georgia, to see professionals working in Georgia, to create authentic products across what you talked about interdisciplinary. Any teacher could use this to support their curriculum in a variety of ways and then get authentic feedback. Um, so we've been building that curriculum out. We've also been sort of testing what some immersive field trip experiences could be. I hosted here at Rising Star a few months ago. We did a podcasting uh, workshop. It, it came from a storyline from one of our special education classrooms. They invented uh, this character called Helpful Hero. And then he has an evil um, sort of enemy and his name is rude dude and so helpful hero and rude dude live in the mind of every middle school kid here at rising star middle school and helps them choose right or wrong so it's sort of like that angel devil thing uh, so we've released several podcasts of the helpful hero series and we had a date where we had i believe 50 students from 10 area schools that came in and under two hours produced a podcast that with the sound effects, the music, the voiceover, we had a voiceover actor that was an industry mentor that Trilla Studios provided. So it was just a great day. And at the end of the two hours, their podcast is on Spotify. So we're really trying to help kids create content with purpose that is distributed. So they see their ideas out into the world and the power of their ideas and the power of the stories that they have to tell. That's amazing. And one of the things I want to mention, just to piggyback on that, is people that are interested in in getting a, a podcast published. It's not that difficult to do. Most of these podcast providers, Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, they have libraries with millions and millions and millions of songs, but they're really craving more content for podcasting. So that's very achievable, you know, for people to do. But I, I do want to ask. As you're, because the fact that you're sharing and distributing all of this student work is amazing, but what are some things maybe if a teacher was interested in doing this, do you have to be aware of as far as publishing students' image or whatever? But so what are some things maybe that you have to keep in mind about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll cover a few things here, but I'm also um, writing, I think it's coming out soon, a, a blog for Bob, our friend at uh, shedthemusic.com. Oh, yeah. It's... Uh, so, and it's, and it's on content distribution and it goes in depth with, with resources and information for teachers. But I would say that first you need to start small to build an audience um, and really think about why are you wanting to distribute content in the first place? Like what additional layer of learning or quality are your students going to get from this? Because if it's just, oh, we just want to release so we can say it's out into the world, that it needs to be meaningful to the learning process. So I think that's that's number one is identifying that. And then number two, thinking about your audience. So this is one thing that that fascinates me is that, you know, we have about a thousand students at our school. So every three years, those thousands cycle through and we've got their parents, their aunts, their grandparents. And a lot of times people make content and put it out into the world and just wait for a following and it doesn't happen. And it's because there's a flood of content out there, Heath. Like there's there's content everywhere and people can't find you because there's so much of it. So really creating with purpose for a specific audience. And, and I think that there is power in schools um, harnessing all of their different 
uh, you know, organizations, academic areas, putting it, branding it under a label that serves their school. There's a lot of power in building public support for public school education when we work together to sort of share our stories. So I would start small. That would be my advice is think about your classroom's parents, think about your school, think about what infrastructures you already have. So if you have a learning management system and you can post files in a folder and people can access it, or you can use maybe a Flipgrid video um, where students can post a video and then you have to have a join code to see it. So if you start within... Um, or a Google Drive folder that with a link people can open. And, and you're not having to get into the sort of the legal side of sharing yet because that's in, in an inclusive environment, right, for your school. So that's one place to start if you're just wanting to get your feet wet in it and you're, and you're worried about the other side. But if you do want to go outside of your school and you do want to post it on a streaming platform, having that conversation um, with your school leadership on your why on being able to talk about what platform you want to use. And I would start with one platform. For us, we started with SoundCloud was the first platform that we started distributing music on five years ago because they had a, a free platform. It also works very well with Soundtrap, as you talked about. Um, it's part of the Spotify family. So that was where we, we started was on uh, SoundCloud. And when... When it comes to the legal side, we worked with our lawyers here in our school system to create content usage and distribution agreements along with media releases. So you're going to have to look at first what is already in place in your school system. So in our school system, we had a standard like photo video sharing policy in our agenda. So if you opt out, um, then you'd you can't, we can't share their image. So most of our students were already covered for that. But on the equipment that we had here at the school system, sort of the, the default was if you create content on school system equipment, then at the end of the day, the school system owns that. And that was something that in talking to the students and as teachers, we disagreed with when it came to content creation. We wanted to teach the students the importance of intellectual property and them owning their intellectual property. So we worked with our school system lawyers and several nonprofit, um, Georgia Lawyers for the Arts helped us as well, develop um, these releases that stated that the students own this is their intellectual property. They created it. They own it. They can use it however they want to. But we have the right as a school system to distribute um, and monetize that distribution. Now, Heath, we're not we're not getting rich off of this. I think we made like $14 last year because <laughs> you made like 0 0.003 cents per stream. But the reason we felt like that was really important is because now I pull analytics and we have deep discussion with students about, okay, let's look at your song. Let's look at the analytics. Let's look at who listened to it and why. Let's look at how much revenue this song brought in compared to this song. And we wanted to be able to have those lessons with our students. And that's really eye-opening and teaches them the importance of creating content with a purpose. Uh, so those distribution agreements, um, 
you know, I, I put some verbiage in the blog post that I that I mentioned about that gives some hints that school systems could could look at to start drafting their own. Please do not take this as legal advice. This is just ideas to think about, and and you definitely need to to talk to your own legal team to develop those releases. But I do have those. Our students sign those. They sign. Um, also media. We do another layer of media releases as well. I also have a disclaimer that we put at the bottom of all of our content um, that says that these are the views and the opinions of the original of the original artist and don't necessarily reflect our school system or our school or our entertainment label. I keep track of the sort of distribution. So we have spreadsheets in addition to all of the legal, the paperwork, I keep track of who wrote what and sort of the distribution of that. And so the students know, like I tell them, if Netflix calls and they say, we want this song for this show, I'm going to tell them to contact you because you own it. Um, and so I want to, we try to keep record of who did what piece of that. And then also be very clear about that. You know, whenever, like on, if you go to our YouTube channel, it says who did what. So that way, if there's ever any question, it's all all clearly laid out. But honestly, I think the kids and the parents, and and I'm probably going over the top with this, I really am, um, because I want the kids to be part of the industry and feel like they're part of the industry because they are. And I want them to understand how to be smart, to look at contracts, to be for their own interest as creator, to understand the importance of intellectual property. So we really take them from the beginning all the way through the process so they understand that. So one day if they're working on their own, like if they have a podcast show, they're like, oh, I need that person to sign a work for hire agreement. <laughs> so, you know, so they don't come back and sue me for revenue if this hits, you know, I try to have our students thinking that way. And, you know, again, this is not something that that we're, we're making tons of money off or not. Um, it's more about the learning process and kids seeing what it takes to make it in this industry. But that's one of the things that I talk about with my students. I go, you know, this idea of intellectual property that if I give you an assignment and as part of that assignment, you have to create a melody and that melody is you didn't base it off of another song. This was your original idea that you created as a teacher. I can grade that. I can I can assess that, but it belongs to you. That is your creation belongs to you. And uh, my friend, John Snyder, who works with uh, Tweed Recording in Athens and has been, his background uh, is actually, uh, he has a, a law degree. And, uh, but one of the things that's really important with him and the students that he works with is this idea of entrepreneurship and intellectual mm -hmm. property. That if you create something that belongs to you, and that creation has value to someone else, then you can sell that. And yeah. once you do that, you're now a business. And if it's something that you're going to do, and that's not to say that if you do write a song or do a podcast, that it always has to be you know monetized or whatever, but it's important for students to know that what they create belongs to them and it does have value. So, you know, I think it's incredibly important and we, too often that is missed in this process in education. Well, in, in the future too, when we look at, at 
advances with AI and everything that's happening in the world, really the creators, right? The, the people who can make those connections, predict the future, create new content that AI can't do. That's where a lot of, that's where the jobs are going to be. So for kids to understand that at a young age, that my idea has power, my idea has value. Um, I also think the the important thing about this Heath is that kids realize that they don't have to create in a silo on their own, which sometimes in education, um, we're so siloed in the subject areas that that in, it might not be until later in life when they're actually in an opportunity where they're working in a multidisciplinary way. And when we create content and distribute that content, kids get to see how many different hands are on it along the way and people we bring in. So for instance, I had uh, Connor and Emily for their eighth grade capstone uh, project wanted to write a musical. Okay, you and I both know Heath that that's, that's huge. Okay, <laughs> like that's a lot. Okay, so sometimes my job is when kids come to me and they're like, I'm gonna write a musical. I'm like, okay, let's talk about viability and scale and maybe a piece of that. And I wanna kill their dreams and I want them to be successful. Well, Connor and Emily wrote like a 40 page musical, like they did it. Okay. Um, but then, you know, they're like, we want to stage it. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's take this down a little bit. So I sent the script to the Alliance theater and they were like, Christy, this is great. Guess what? We have a grant with the Johnny Mercer foundation. Let's make it happen. So the Johnny Mercer foundation sent a composer in residence. So Emily and Connor, are sitting in the room for two weeks with a composer in residence funded by the Johnny Mercer Foundation. This is Eugene Russell, who had just written the music for The Boy Who Kissed the Sky that was on stage right then at the Alliance. And he's in my classroom. And I'm like, is this real life? Like, what is happening? And so he's taking the kid's script and their lyrics. And then he's sitting down at GarageBand, the doll that these kids use in class, and they're watching a real composer sit there and, you know, sort of score their idea, like put a baseline with it, add drums behind it. They're singing the melody. They're making choices together. Next thing we know, the foundation liked the work so much, they funded a session band that came in and we did a live recording of their first two songs. And then, and those are about to come out. So I'll have to send those to you, Heath. They're amazing. But then the students, because they didn't have vocally the ability to, to sing the parts that they had written, it's they wanted to feature unsung heroes. So they wrote Lunch Ladies, the musical. And it's a story about a woman who, through a course of events, becomes a lunch lady. And she thought that was negative, but she finds out she loves baking. So that's the whole storyline. And so then Reinhardt College stepped in and sent their musical theater department down and staged the first three scenes sang their songs and we recorded it in a session so now emily and connor have two of their songs they're going to be on spotify of the first from the first three scenes of their musical there's no way that they could have ever done that by themselves as 13 year olds it's it's not possible but the lesson those kids learned about gig work about you can have a dream and sometimes you can't implement every piece of that dream but you need to find the people who can help you build your dream like that lesson is going to go with them for the rest of their life and they're hoping to finish writing that musical in the future and if we weren't in um, the world of content distribution if we weren't in the world of trying to get that product out that's a lesson that they never would have learned. And it's it's a really powerful one. 
I'm literally speechless, which is <laughs> is saying something coming from me because I mean it's like you are describing a mythical Shangri-La utopia of <laughs> creative creative learning. I, I am to say I'm impressed. It's it's just that's not the right word. I mean, it's amazing what you're describing. Well, the, and the thing about it, Eth, that's so important is it it's not me. It is a group of people and kids and adults working together, and we're okay being messy. We're okay with maybe this content isn't that great, but we're going to put our ego aside and work together to make it better. It's about building connections at the core of what we do, and it's building connections from kid to kid, from teacher to teacher, from school to school, with our industry partner, with knowing that maybe I can't do all this by myself, but if I build a connection with in my community, we can help take it to a whole nother level. This conversation, oh my gosh, we could, uh, there has to be a part two, um, <laughs> Anytime but, but still in part one. And if you've listened this far, this is not, should not come as any surprise whatsoever, but officially Christy, congratulations for being a finalist for the Georgia state teacher of the year honor. And this is, a a long process that starts with being a teacher of the year at your school and then selected by your school system. And it's, it's a rigorous process. So to reach that final 10, I mean, I don't know if the other nine, I just want to go, y'all need to just like, just give up now. Like it's just do it. But I, well, but they're, I, they're fabulous. You haven't met them. They, they are amazing in their own way. For sure. But I also wanted to ask about, you know, about that process that you're, you're going through and, you know, what has that been like? Has it opened even more doors to have discussions with people at the state level or around the state about wh what you're doing there? Tell me about what that experience has been like for you so far. It, it's been an amazing once in a lifetime experience, Heath. It's, um, I mean, it's over a year and a half now a process because in fall 2022 no fall 2022 fall 2021 sorry so fall 2021 was when I found out I was nominated to represent my school um, at Rising Star Middle School and it, it was such an honor to be nominated by your colleagues it just really meant a lot and then later that year, I won for my county. And that was a lot to process because I graduated from Fayette County Schools. So the opportunity to represent my district in a different way, in a unique way, um, as their county teacher of the year, I just felt like I had, I don't want to say like a lot of expectation placed on me. That's not the right thing. But it was just like, I felt like I just had a lot I wanted to do to thank my district for all they had done for me. And so over the past year, I've had the opportunity to, to talk at different organizations, um, to plan professional development for other Teacher of the Year school winners in our district, to build connections for them within our community, with our Chamber of Commerce, with other community organizations. And I filled out, so you have to do all these essays at the county level, but then at the state level, uh, there's like seven essays that are like 500 to 700 words. It's a lot, Heath. And so you fill this out and, you know, there's county district and state, uh, sorry, county district all across the state who are applying for this. I mean, there's over a hundred, like 150. And so you, you submit it and you don't really think anything about it. And I was 
like teaching one day. I had been out the day before and I'm, you know, frantically trying to see, okay, what did they accomplish in the sub plans? Do we have our iPads? Like, you know, I'm getting all set up and my door opens and it's the state school superintendent. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is crazy. Um, and, you know, I knew immediately what it was. And I just, I just like teared up because it, I'm just trying to do my job. I'm just trying to help kids. And I almost don't feel worthy of this. It's, it's, but it is an amazing opportunity. And I've really loved being able to advocate for opportunities for kids to create inclusive opportunities for all kids to create. I think courses like music technology is so important in order for us to reach all students. Um, through this opportunity, you know, I've been able, at, I had to go for my interview. So it was like an interview with a 30 minute interview with eight, about 15, I'd say 15 people in the room. I also had to give a speech about what my platform would be, which is building connections. There's no surprise there. Um, building connections within our schools and within our communities to support public school education. And through this job, I've had the opportunity to share about our work and the importance of what we've been able to build here in Fayette um, that's now scaling on a state level. And that came from building mutually beneficial partnerships. So being able to have that conversation with stakeholders at the Department of Education, talk about how we can build even more opportunities for our students. And I think also for our teachers, because that's one thing I've learned through this process is, is you know, I, I don't want to go be a principal. He, that's not that's not where my heart is. Like, I, I love being in the classroom, but just because I want to be a teacher doesn't mean that I don't want to grow as a professional and as a teacher leader. And this, uh, the Teacher of the Year program and also this position I have in my district has allowed me to do that while still staying in the classroom. And that's been an important thing to share as well, because I'm hopeful that other teachers have other opportunities to grow in different ways too. So when does the official announcement and process end? So in two weeks from Saturday, I will know, Heath. So we go down to Jekyll Island for a conference, and it's the other nine finalists along with the other district county winners across our state. So I'm so excited to, I've met the other nine finalists. And like I said, they're amazing. You should hear like one of them uh, over in Carrollton, he has like literally bought, got a grant to buy 10 acres of land, cleared it, put up a pole barn and is, has kids buying and selling cattle in the ag program. Like it's amazing what teachers are doing across the state of Georgia, the connections they're building within their communities. So I'm just in awe of the other nine finalists, honestly. And so we're gonna go and then I get to meet the other representatives across the state and we're doing professional development for several days. And then on Saturday night, June 10th, they announced the, the winner and win or lose. It, it's been a once in a lifetime amazing opportunity. I've been so thankful to be able uh, to promote what my students do, what my school does, what my district does, and just speak about the amazing work that's happening in public schools across Georgia. We are sending you 
good luck on that final announcement and would love to hear your name announced as I'm sure you would too. But you're right. As we were just talking, I'm thinking we, I've got to do an episode on that, that, you know, as a teacher, you know, we talk about student engagement a lot, but you know, as a teacher, when you find something that becomes passion project kind of thing that you're engaged as a teacher, it makes student engagement so much easier and and yeah. yeah, so even like where you were talking about the guy who, you know, 10 acres of land and, yeah. uh, you know, wow. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, and, and I, that that comes down, Heath, like I just, I can't say enough about Fayette County Schools and where I teach that um, the superintendent I worked for at the time, Jody Barrow, who asked me to do this job, the principal at the time, Nancy Blair, was supportive. Now my new superintendent, Jonathan Patterson, who actually came from Gwinnett, um, is so supportive as well as my uh, new principal, Kathy Smith. I'm around people who say yes to my crazy ideas. And when they put me in this job, like we we didn't have a, a template or a lesson plan or a scope and sequence. We just knew what we wanted to accomplish. And that was to give kids space to create, all kids. And so there was a lot of trial and error I failed a lot, um, but I learned a lot. And isn't that what we want for our students who want risk-taking? And how can we ask our students to take risk as, as teachers we're not willing to do it ourselves? And I think that's so important that districts build infrastructures to support the growth that our teachers need and that they're asking for. Yeah, that, having that administrative support is so very, very important. It's wonderful. I have a similar experience here when I was starting the music tech program with a principal who allowed me to make some mistakes but trusted me to and what I was trying to build and trying to create is 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 super important you've already spent a lot of your time here to have a discussion today but I do have a few questions I usually try to end the podcast episodes with some general questions so the first one is my crystal ball question which is just to say if you had a crystal ball there and you could look into the future five, 10 years down the road, what do you see developing in education and in schools as it involves all these things you have worked with involving the community and industries and, and schools? I'd really like to see increased flexibility. I think when that comes into terms of scheduling, of how our students show their learning, um, even the teaching job itself, flexibility within that for teachers to have space to learn and grow in different ways. And I think a lot of times in education, we're, we're very rigid, right? Like here's our schedule. This is what we do next. And as the world continues to change and evolve, I think flexibility is key and being able to keep public schools vibrant. And so that is my hope for the future in five to 10 years that we continue to embrace uh, different models like the one that I've talked about today that's giving more flexibility to our students and their learning and, in, and to our teachers and their learning as well. And then my other follow-up question is what I call the magic wand question. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you had a magic wand or if you had a magic lamp and a genie that said, we're gonna let you do one thing to make this vision happen is what would you, what is the thing you would do to bring those things about? Well, we talk a lot about you know, increasing salaries for teachers, right? To keep our, our great people in the profession. But I think it's actually, in addition to that, it's increasing our staffing capacity. Um, because if we could get to a place where teachers are able to rotate in and out 
and maybe work with one group of students here. And then one day they're working on their own or one day they're over here interning with a company and learning a different skill set. So I would love to see if I had a magic wand, I would, I would think a lot about how we use teachers and instead of necessarily putting them in one box to do one thing, like how can we mix up the schedule and the different way we use teachers in their positions and maybe bring in some additional staffing to provide a little bit more flexibility there for the schedule. Because when you have one teacher assigned to one classroom, it's hard, right? It's hard um, to give that flexibility. So I think that there's some unique things we could do with staffing. So if I had a if I had a magic wand and somebody put me in charge, that's that's definitely what I would I would work on. But I'd also use that magic wand to make sure the Braves always win the World Series. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the final question, and this one's particularly personal for me because, as I mentioned earlier, my daughter is about to go into her senior year of her music education program. But everyone knows that you know in the last several years, particularly. Uh, the teaching profession isn't always presented in a particularly positive light. So if you were going to be speaking to either a student that's in high school that's thinking about going into teaching or someone who was currently in college, you know, along that road, what's what's some advice or encouragement you would give them about becoming a teacher? So I actually had the opportunity to speak to all of Fayette's new teachers this year. So I'll, I'll give the advice that I shared with the uh, about the I don't, several hundred that were in that room, is that when we talk about why somebody does something right, um, the, the reason that intrinsic motivation, uh, behavioral psychologist in the 1970s, one of them being Edward Desi, uh, said that there's three things, and it comes down to autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And our, our teachers and, and our kids who are sitting right now, our college students who are sitting there saying, I want to be a teacher, right? They know their purpose. They want to help kids. But sometimes those other pieces um, get lost. And that's you really got to have those three things together to feel supported and successful in whatever you're doing, but especially education. So when it comes to mastery, I would say, you know, don't try to do it all. Find an amazing teacher who's been in a classroom for a while. Copy what they do. Steal what they do. Don't reinvent the wheel those first couple of years. I was so fortunate that I started my career as an assistant choral director. I was with an amazing teacher every day. I watched what he did. John Odom, he used to be the president of GMEA. John is retiring. Um, I keep crying because John's retiring. I don't know what it's like to teach without John being down the hall. But I'm here today because of John Odom, because I, ha I was able to watch an amazing teacher and I learned so much from him. So that's the thing I would say to new teachers is find someone to copy, steal what they do. It's not wrong. It's what we do in education. It's how we pass on our art of, teacher, of teaching. The other thing is autonomy. And I think you've got to find that spark that makes kids want to sit up and pay attention. And I'll never forget my first year as a teacher, um, one of the ladies on our booster club board came over to me and she said, you know, the kids really like you, but I, I need you to find a little crazy somewhere, a little crazy somewhere that makes them scared of you or, or makes them. And I, I went home, I was like, what was she talking about? Like, I, but now like, I totally get it. It's like the really great teachers have this like magnetic force that you're like, what are they gonna do next? Or where are they going with it? And that sort of comes with time. And everybody's is their own. Like I, I had my high school English teacher used to jump up on a desk to make a point. And my 
my high, uh, my college music history professor would relate every person back to Beethoven. That was his autonomy. So that would be the advice. Find that thing that is you and lean into it because that's what's going to make kids sit up and pay attention. And the last piece, purpose, you walk in because you love kids and you want to teach kids. But it's okay that your purpose may shift and change over the years. I walked in with a love of directing choirs. And now on the back end, I have a love of helping kids create their own content and products. So I shifted from me being the person creating on stage to giving that up so other kids could do it. And that is my new purpose. And that's my new drive. So that would be my advice to teachers going into this field is find your autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Know that that may shift and that's okay, but you're not in this alone. And if you're ever, if there's ever a point where you're doubting yourself or doubting your work, go talk to a trusted colleague, go talk to an administrator. They're here to support you. They're here to help you and they can make changes. You know, there's been several times in my teaching career where I needed a change. And I'm here today because I voiced that and had supportive people around me that helped me through that. And it, that happens in any job, right? That happens in any job. But instead of just walking out the door and quitting, realize how amazing this job is and the impact you have on the future. And it all comes down to you as a teacher really being in control of your own autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Christy, again, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. But also thank you for being an amazing, amazing, amazing teacher. Because not only are you influencing powerful education and learning opportunities from your students, but now also reaching out and being able to impact other teachers to see and go, that's, that's it, what she's doing. Show us how to do that. So thank you for all of that work. Good luck again in two weeks down at Jekyll Island on, on the Georgia Teacher of the Year. And before we go, uh, just remind me one more time, what are, what are the, some of the websites and the resources so we can connect and see what you're doing there in Fayetteville. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to throw several at you. So communityforcreativity.org was the initiative we started five years ago. It's actually spread to ever, several other schools in our district now. Um, our school's recording label is called Hall Pass Entertainment. So go to hallpassentertainment.org and that will link to our streaming platforms. And I have like a huge request. Please go and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, it, it, the, right now they're recognizing all of our .fcboe email extensions as spam because there's so many of us. So we need people with non-fcboe emails to go subscribe. So please do that. Um, so that's hallpassentertainment.org and check out our YouTube channel. And then the other thing I mentioned, the curricular resources, a lot are out now. We have more coming out over the summer that connect Georgia's classrooms to Georgia's creative industry professionals. That's called storyarts.co, storyarts.co. And I'm actually presenting along with the team at the Woodruff Arts Conference, uh, Educators Conference next week about story arts and those education resources. So maybe I'll see some of you guys there at that conference at the Woodruff Arts Center. Awesome. And I will make sure uh, to add those links into the notes for the podcast. So if you're listening, uh, go go back and check on the notes and all those links will be there. And 
spread the word. Subscribing to YouTube channels is, is really important. If you will subscribe and just watch it, it, it helps uh, tremendously. But we will have all of those links in there. And please tell your friends about it. Not because I want them to listen to this podcast, but I want them to listen to Christy Todd and learn about what she's doing down there. So, and again, one last time, Christy, thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks, Heath. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Georgia State Teacher of the Year finalist, Christy Todd. If you're interested in learning more about Christy and her work, check out the notes for this episode of the podcast to find the links to the websites mentioned in the conversation. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. In addition to this podcast, there are links to my website, YouTube channel, blog, and social media handles, as well as a link to the new Discord server in the show notes. I hope you'll be on the lookout for the next episode of the podcast, where I'll be having a conversation with composer Chris Rickwood. Chris specializes in composing music for video games. His credits include Madden 16, Ghostbusters Video Game, Age of Empires, Smite, and Brawlhalla, just to name a few. As always, please feel free to leave comments and let me know how we're doing or what you would like to, to learn more about. Until then, this has been Heath with the Music Technology Teacher Network. Advocate, support, inspire, create. Teacher Network. Music. Technology. Teacher Network. Music. Technology. Teacher Network.